You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Sophie is down at the BC Tech Summit in Vancouver tonight. We'll check in with her live a little bit later, but we start with grief and frustration for a Richmond family who lost a son, a husband, and father. The man who killed cyclist Brad Dean in 2016 was sentenced today for driving without due care and attention. Tanya Beja has the emotional reaction from the courthouse. Mr. Fan, anything you want to say to your victims? What about to Bradley Dean's family? Is there anything you want to say? Outside Richmond Court, Michael Fan had no words for the families devastated by his actions. It would have been nice had Michael Fan acknowledged us once, just once, just with eye contact, just to let us know we were there in the entire day. I didn't get that at all. That tells me he's not remorseful. So I don't believe that his apology was sincere. He would not look at us. He's a coward. Fan pleaded guilty to driving without due care and attention in a crash that left Bradley Dean dead and two other cyclists very seriously injured. Michael Fan had been drinking. He had been up all night. He had had four traffic violations within a month. Of course he pleaded guilty. Fan crossed the center line on River Road in November 2016, colliding with a group of cyclists. The court heard he had been awake, partying all night. Fan acknowledged his eyes may have closed for a few seconds before the crash. There is evidence that we will never see because this did not make it to criminal court. And I regret that. Bradley Dean's family pleaded for months to have the matter tried as a criminal case. And I really feel let down by the Crown Council. My daughter's been let down. Everybody's been let down by this. It's very disappointing. Crown Council must always be uh, principled and dispassionate and make its decisions based on the evidence available. In a letter read in court, Fan apologized to the deans, saying he did not expect their forgiveness. He was handed an $1,800 fine and a one-year driving prohibition. If you're up all night gambling, drinking, as long as you blow under 0.08, you have a momentary lapse. There are no repercussions. In delivering his sentence, the judge said the collision could not be considered an accident and that a community is not safe when drivers drive fatigued. Tanya Beja, Global News. Two men who've spent the better part of three decades fighting Canada's polygamy laws are about to be sentenced. 62-year-old Winston Blackmore and 54-year-old James Oler are the leaders of a religious sect that supports plural marriage. The sentencing hearing is underway in Cranbrook. They were found guilty last year of having multiple wives, the first men convicted of polygamy in Canadian history. The Crown is asking for sentences of one to six months, saying the two should be sent to jail to deter others. The defense says a conviction is all the punishment necessary to send the message that polygamy is in fact illegal. Children and other residents of a Nanaimo neighborhood are still recovering tonight after a vicious dog attack left a 10-year-old girl with horrendous injuries. As Kylie Stanton reports, the dogs have already been put down, but the victim's father is calling for tougher rules for potentially dangerous animals. And a warning about this story, some of the images are graphic. I know, I know, I'm being careful, I'm sorry. When just wrapping the bandage is painful, you can just imagine what's underneath. They were wide open gashes where you could see the muscle in her arm. The wounds caused by a couple of canines at large roaming in a Nanaimo neighborhood Saturday. They're full-grown pit bull dogs. 
Just after 10 a.m., Scarbo's 10-year-old daughter, who he does not want identified, was sitting in this yard with two friends when the two dogs, with no owners in sight, unleashed an attack. My 8-year-old son had his hockey stick in his hand and tried to beat them off of them. He and his sister managed to escape and get inside the house, but Scarbo's daughter ran the other way. The big beige dog pulled her down by her hair, smashed her into the road, dragged her. She had skin knees, and the other dog grabbed onto her arm and mauled it pretty bad. People nearby came to her rescue, pulling the dogs off of her. One neighbor was bit in the process. That's when the owner showed up, whisking the dogs away. When there's children bleeding and screaming all over the place and you don't even stop, what kind of human being does that? Police and animal control services later seized the dogs from this home. They were both put down. Their owners would not comment. But it's not the first time they've caused problems in the area. In fact, just one day before the attack, the owners were issued a ticket when the dogs were once again found roaming free. You know, they can only do what the law allows them to do, but I honestly feel that there needs to be some changes. These breeds of dogs are able to do such damage that there should be some sort of licensing. They're just statistically are unpredictable. But for now, the family is just focused on healing, not only physically, but the wounds that run deeper than these gashes. We saw things that we don't need to see that sticks with you. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Nanaimo. B.C.'s flood crisis has finally reached into southwestern B.C. with an evacuation alert in effect tonight for parts of the township of Langley. Jeff Hastings has the latest on the flood watch across B.C. from Langley. Jeff. You can see the first signs of the spring flood here at the Edgewater Campground at Derby Reach Park in the township of Langley. The river levels have come up substantially. This campground has been shut down after today. Further up the river at the Mission Gauge, the levels have hit five and a half meters, and that's led to an evacuation alert for several low-lying areas. This is what the LNG Canada uh, project would be uh, involving over its lifespan, so it's a mammoth investment. Today, not a final investment decision. That's still not expected until the fall, but a reminder from the company's CEO that there is a commitment to, to begin construction. Here's a statement from CEO Andy Callitz, who says that, uh, and basically talking about the, the market uh, a few months ago wasn't good enough to proceed. Now it is. It, he says it didn't make sense in July 2016. When our stakeholders asked the inevitable question, when will you uh, reconsider the final investment decision? Our answer was, we will be in construction in 2018. I reaffirmed that commitment. That was a statement today, a reaffirmment of a commitment uh, that had been on the books. Michelle Mungle, the energy minister, clearly happy today, finding it uh, basically a positive announcement, one that is encouraging in her short response with reporters. Here's Michelle Mungle. They're feeling positive. We're feeling positive. As you know, the NDP has uh, always been supportive of the industry, but we've always had our four conditions as well, and one of those is meeting our climate targets. All right, some reason to be optimistic, I guess, from the minister's standpoint and anybody else keeping an eye on this industry. You try to read the tea leaves and things like this, and LNG Canada's CEO has an interesting nickname within the industry. Describe what that is and why that might be a good sign. 
Yeah, I just signed this up today. Andy Callitz is known as the closer. He's known for getting these deals done. He's closed about six LNG projects around the world for Shell, which is the major backer of LNG Canada. So he's known for getting the, the thing done. And that's another clue that I, many, many analysts think that LNG Canada is going to be a go with green light final investment decision probably sometime this fall. And if it does happen, as I say, largest ever private sector investment in the history of BC. All right, Keith Baldry and Victoria. Thanks, Keith. $61 for food is a lot cheaper than $600 for a flight back home. Watchdog Dermot Travis thinks there needs to be some checks and balances. It leaves that big question mark in the public's mind for somebody who's earning six figures, sometimes uh, quite high six figures, um, that they are enjoying the perks of office to a level that they shouldn't be. Per diems haven't changed in 11 years, and Minister Mike Farnler says the numbers have been pretty consistent over time. There is a, a policy that's been placed that came in, into, uh, into being after the, uh, uh, the last uh, review uh, by an independent panel. But for now, it doesn't seem like there's an appetite for change. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. A meeting of the minds is underway at the convention center tonight where the buzz is all about technology. Sophie Louie joins us from the BC Tech Summit. As we mentioned earlier, Sophie, we keep hearing how technology is supposed to create the jobs of the future. Well, and when we talk about uh, BC Tech, Chris, it's uh, it's a really a, a huge umbrella under which many, many jobs would fall. I mean, you think of the, the obvious things like the app developers or gaming or visual effects in blockbuster movies, but then there are sectors like health or agriculture that also, uh, you know, definitely have a strong technology component. So to talk more about what we're doing here for the next couple of days, Shirley Vickers joins us. She's the president and CEO of the BC Innovation Council. This is the third year for the BC Tech Summit. Shirley, tell us, you know, what is it all about and what is the, the goal here? Well, the goal here is to showcase what all the wonderful things that are happening in technology in British Columbia. Like you said, everything from uh, healthcare and uh, personalized medicine to drones and use in agriculture. We see everything here and we have investors here that come to uh, hear new pitches from businesses that are being developed here. We have researchers doing groundbreaking world-class research and from our uh, universities. And we're right in front of Microsoft here, uh, which uh, we'll step back and take a look at what they're getting involved in. Uh, Reed Laird is with Microsoft, and we've got one of your colleagues here, Reed, who's fully masked up, and I, I'm assuming he's playing some sort of game. Tell us about the technology we have here. Sure. Um, we're actually showing off some of the Windows Mixed Reality technology um, from Microsoft and some of our partners. Today we're looking at the uh, the Samsung headset, and uh, you know it's more than just about playing games. Um, we're actually currently just uh, kind of exploring Machu Picchu in Peru right now, um, and the technology is really uh, for more than just gaming. You can you know explore the world. There's puzzles. Um, there's a lot of opportunity for even recording 360 videos that uh, can be pretty impactful. So we're just seeing on the laptop there, that's what uh, your colleague here is seeing in his virtual headset? That's right, we're seeing the same thing. So we don't have to you'd suffer through jet lag to go see Machu Picchu? Not or so do the Or do the physical work? Not anymore. <laughs> Alright, thanks very much, Reed. Thank you very much, Shirley. Uh, this is just a small portion of the BC Tech Summit. Uh, Chris, we're going to meet some of the other uh, vendors here in the marketplace coming up, including a company who've made me a pair of 3D printed shoes, apparently. Uh, and we're going to see how technology and the circus come together. That's coming up a little bit later on the news hour, Chris. Can't wait to see that. Alright, good stuff. Thank you, Sophie.
Vancouver is considering rolling back development in Chinatown after concerns its character is disappearing with the pace of construction. But as Grace Key reports, the business community fears the heritage area will become a lifeless museum if density doesn't improve. Preserving Chinatown's past while ensuring a vibrant future is dividing a community. Both sides want to see the area thrive but are split on how to make that happen. The Business Improvement Association doesn't want Chinatown to solely turn into what it calls a museum. They would like to see a range of residential development. We've got new businesses that will uh, uh, serve the high-end clientele. We've got the, uh, the green grocer that uh, uh, serves the uh, seniors people. So that's what's important is finding the balance within the market. New developments, businesses and restaurants have popped up over the years, adding vibrancy to the community, but some say it's happening too fast and coming at a price. You know, it's just like the Wild West right now. Fred Ma with the Chinatown Society Heritage Buildings Association says there needs to be controlled development. Well, what you're losing is the Chinatown character. When I say character, I'm talking about not just the physical character, but the business, traditional business. The city of Vancouver is pursuing a UNESCO World Heritage Site designation for Chinatown, and that means a management plan needs to be in place and development concerns resolved. And policy report 8, which are being held for debate. A policy report on design amendments was supposed to be referred to a public hearing, but that was held over after businesses raised concerns their voices were not being heard. One group is claiming it's happening too fast, the other one is saying it's too slow, so I want to explore that. And if I'm satisfied, then I'll, then I'll you know, vote in favor of sending it to public hearing. Many agree revitalization is needed, but how to go about that remains up for debate. Grace Key, Global News. In Maple Ridge, the battle over modular housing for the homeless is ramping up. The province now seeking an injunction to remove protesters who are blocking the construction of supportive housing. Aaron MacArthur is in Maple Ridge with more on the latest fight and why the protesters aren't prepared to move. Aaron. It's somewhat ironic, Chris, that people who are protesting a tent camp are themselves tenting. But that's the feeling of anger here at Maple Ridge about temporary modular housing proposed for this site. Sit down in the shade. What was here before? Abandoned. This is not your typical tent protest camp. Seniors, homeowners, renters, all saying no to the idea of temporary modular housing on this site in Maple Ridge. I think you have to work for things. You have to earn things. Like, I mean, you, you get housing after you've gone through uh, detox and, uh, you know, done, done your part to improve your own life. Last night, a couple of hundred people showed up to defy an eviction notice BC Housing posted on the property. BC government? Yeah, so BC Housing, yeah. The site has been designated for temporary modular housing to help alleviate the problem tent camp that has been a major health and safety issue here for years. The government intends to apply for an injunction to remove these protesters to begin work on the project. It's, it's been really frustrating to have uh, people who have homes uh, stand in the way of uh, developing homes for people who don't have them uh, in, in the community of Maple Ridge. The site for modular housing is surrounded by low-income housing. People in a seniors complex next door with some concerns about what is going to happen. I didn't like the way it was done. How come? Well, it was all done under the table. I didn't let anybody know what was going on. What they're proposing to put in here is just garbage. They don't realize the crime rate that's going to go up here. We don't need to put 
the homeless, mostly addicted population here. There is no timeline on the injunction when these people will be forcibly removed if it comes to that. But BC Housing says with no further delays, the temporary modular housing units can be built here by this fall. Chris? All right, thank you, Aaron. Counterflow is out over here at the Massey Tunnel. No delays for northbound traffic out of Delta and just some minor congestion on the approach just south of Steveston Highway. Sussex Insurance has auto plan offices inside the real Canadian superstores and Walmarts throughout BC. Find your nearest location at sussexinsurance.com. Open 9 to 9 every day. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Massey Tunnel. Dangerous new eruptions of molten hot rocks and lava in Hawaii, sending huge boulders and fountains of lava high into the air. Residents on the Big Island still bracing for the big one, a potentially catastrophic eruption that could destroy everything within a five-kilometer zone. Well, around here, the most likely natural disaster in our region is an earthquake and tsunami. And a B.C. company is using technology to help us prepare if our own big one hits. Sophie is down at the B.C. Tech Summit tonight with more. Sophie. Yeah, Chris, it happened once back in 1964 when a giant wave slammed into Port Alberni. Now new technology has been developed at the University of Victoria. And as Chet Chernecki reports, it could help prepare us for the next big wave. What better way to relate to a generation that's grown up playing video games than to create a curriculum that's full of educational games? That's what UVic is doing. What he was doing in that game uh, was driving one of these ROVs uh, to replace a bottom pressure recorder, uh, which forms part of the sensor network that uh, warns about tsunamis. There are hundreds of these tsunami sensors on the ocean floor off the B.C. coast, part of a bigger picture. Incoming tsunami. Another game has students creating a simulation about what would happen to Port Alberni today if another tsunami hit. The more it becomes personal to you, uh, the more you think about it, uh, and uh, the more you uh, get uh, ready to respond to it. Uh, in the last tsunamis, we've had people go down to the waterfront to watch it come in, not realizing just kind of how quickly it comes. Port Alberni is a very different place than it was on Good Friday 1964, when first a 2.4-meter wave struck, causing flooding, followed by a larger 3-meter wave that destroyed homes but spared human life. Since then, Port Alberni is better prepared, making computer simulations in some ways harder to program. It's a dynamic landscape. I think what's important and interesting about where the field is heading uh, is the emergence of, of satellite technologies that allow us really an eye in the sky, real-time situation awareness. So we're working with groups like EarthCast to think about how imagery could be used to update your models. The city hall is on fire. The beauty of this simulation, already accurate to the 64 tsunami, it can now be modified to increase or decrease the wave size, allowing residents to see just how vulnerable they are and what measures they should take to prepare for when virtual reality turns real. Ted Chernecki, Global News. Elementary School. All right, Chris, joining me now is Brent Bushnell, CEO and co-founder of 2-Bit Circus. He's also a keynote speaker at the BC Tech Summit and... He is a real-life clown, and I don't mean that as an insult because you're an actual clown. Actual trained clown. You can go to clown school. So he's, he's, a, he's a clown, and he's a tech nerd, and I'm using yeah. these words because that's how he describes himself yeah, as well. Yeah, computer science, electrical engineering, and, and also went to clown school. So you're, 
<laughs> you're, you're bringing the fun um, and the creativity into technology. Tell us what 2-Bit Circus does and about the circus, the actual circus that you and your colleagues are building. So my co-founder and I are both big nerds. And you know, in 2008, we were pretty frustrated with the fact that everybody was on their phone and on Facebook. And we wanted to get back in public, live, right? Like this. You know, yeah. We are social animals. We wanted to get people playing together again, elbow to elbow. And so we started building a bunch of attractions, rooms of laser beams, walls of buttons, things that just broke down barriers and got people having fun together in yeah. person. Uh, we're now getting ready to open an amusement park, what we call a micro amusement park. It's a 50,000 square foot entertainment complex we're putting in the middle of downtown Los Angeles, and then we're <laughs> going to take them all over. So what's going to be at this amusement park? <laughs> it is absolutely bananas. You know, a, a virtual reality, augmented reality, a hundred seat interactive theater, a reimagined carnival midway, uh, robot bartenders, it just the list goes on and on. And it's not just about um, having fun for adults, but uh, you and, and your clown friends and your <laughs> nerd friends, as you, circus, as you put it, uh, you have a foundation uh, to put the fun into learning for kids as well. And exactly you talk about right. STEM versus STEAM. What do you mean by that? Yeah, so we take our entire entire approach to creativity and we package up our design process as a program for schools and kids. Kids learn how to you know, do engineering, programming, fabrication in order to build their own games so they can throw their own carnival. Think of it as like a complete alternative to the science fair. Mm -hmm. So STEAM, you know, STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math, the art makes steam and the art and the creativity that's the fun stuff right that's the exciting part stem has a little bit of a branding problem we feel like hey being an engineer is freaking awesome there's never <laughs> been a better time and so the art really the art and the creativity brings the brings the sizzle so okay one more question when is your uh, amusement park in downtown LA going to be open because so, I got to go it's going to be coming very soon uh, we can't wait to show you um, uh, stay tuned okay <laughs> 2bitcircus.com is our website if you want more information about that Brent thank you very much for that thanks so Nice to meet Thanks. you. Great to be here. Uh, so it's not just about technology, Chris. It's a bit of a clown show. <laughs> it sure, <laughs> so sure is. La laser beams and virtual reality rooms. Uh, sign me up. It looks like it's going to be a great time. Thanks very much, Sophie. Well, in Health Matters tonight, a new study says contrary to what many believe, acupuncture does not appear to improve the success rate of in vitro fertilization. Australian researchers assigned more than 800 women undergoing IVF to either acupuncture or a sham procedure. They found that the percentage of live births was similar for both groups. They do say, though, that acupuncture might have some mental benefits, as many of the women reported feeling less stressed after their treatment. A young hunter comes face to face with a bear in the most unlikely of places. We'll tell you where and what happens next right after Christie's forecast, and it has been a record setter for the last little while. The heat wave rolls on, Christy. That's right. So Sunday and Monday, the records were along the coast. But today, Chris, the records were in the interior, right in those areas where we have that massive snowpack. Uh, five of them broken across the province. The one that's not on here is Quinell. They hit about 27 degrees. And it has meant for a significant amount of melt in the past 24 hours, down by about 10 centimeters in some areas. That may not seem like a lot, but you think about the mass amount of terrain out there. So that is significant melt. And we have one more heat day on the way. And 
and then rain is set to push in. It should start late tomorrow, continue in through Thursday, 10 to 15 centimeters, of, sorry, millimeters of rain expected in this uh, Similkameen area and over towards the Boundary region, right near Grand Forks and over into the West Kootenai region as well. So River Forecast Centre has updated their forecast for the region of the Grand Forks with big concern Thursday into Friday, uh, levels potentially like they saw last week. So we will be tracking this, but that's because of the warmth still in place and then the rainfall that's on the way. So here's your forecast, everyone. So one more heat day on the way. We still do have late in the day tomorrow a chance of showers with a risk of thunderstorms. So we talked about 10 to 15 millimeters of rain for this uh, southeastern corner of the province. But keep in mind, one thunderstorm cell rolls through and that can dump a ton of rain in a very localized area. And that's when you also have the potential of seeing some flooding. So those are forecasted numbers for tomorrow. Now, South Coast, bit of difference. We will wake up to some cloud cover tomorrow. Take a little while for us to clear that out and we will see that for the next few days. Morning cloud, afternoon sunshine. You can see temperatures a little cooler, but we rebound over the weekend. Nice and warm. Chris, I'll leave you with this shot of Asuya. It's a nice evening shot for you. Oh, from I, bet was, I bet it was warm after the sun goes down too. It's been beautiful yeah. the last few nights. All right. Thanks, Christy. A close encounter in Alberta that will have you holding your breath. Davin Grunra was out hunting with a family friend last week when a curious bear cub decided to scale the tree that he was in to investigate. Grunro remained calm and completely still, and to his relief, the cub lost interest and climbed back down without anyone getting hurt. How about that? Just climbing up to check out the blind. Wow. Amazing. All right, Squire's here now. Good thing mom wasn't around. Well, yeah, I, I was she was milling around down there. Mm-hmm. Send the cup up to investigate. Yeah, <laughs> knock him under the tree, then I'll take care of him from yeah. there. Yeah. And welcome back. We are live at the BC Tech Summit, the largest showcase of innovation in our province and in Western Canada as well. I believe this uh, tech summit is the largest in Western Canada. We're in the marketplace uh, where all sorts of companies are showcasing their innovative products. And we have one right here on the set with us. It's uh, basically, they look like sandals or flip-flops, but they're custom-fit 3D-printed footwear by a company called Weave. And with us is Shamil Hargovin, the CEO of Weave, and Hannah Zakritz, the Director of Product and Design. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having us. So tell us what Weave does and, and how it all works. Yeah, we're bringing what we call functional customization to the masses. So custom products made for your body allow you to feel better, mm-hmm. live better. That's what we're all about. So you're starting with insoles and sandals. And Hannah, uh, I did try this, uh, you know, tried to take pictures of my feet for you guys so you could print this. But how does the process work? How would I, the user at home, get a, a pair yeah. of custom made? Yeah, it's actually very easy. So you just download our mobile app. And with just a few photos of your feet, uh, we can digitally map your feet and then 3D print your custom product, delivering it to your door in under 10 days. It actually just took me five minutes, and I know I'll be getting the, uh, a pair of sandals to try on. Yeah. You actually have an employee who, uh, Shamil, ran the Boston Marathon yes. in a pair of these. Tell us about that. Yeah, Chris Bellamy, one of our product engineers, uh, he kind of made a little bet. He said, I'm going to make something so great, and the team all got behind it. We're going to make something so great, and he goes, we're going to run a marathon. And he ran the Boston Marathon in under three hours. Hours in the custom print. sandals. Yeah. Okay, let's so when come back on camera and let's yeah. take a look at this. So this is the men's here. Yeah. 
And he ran the Boston Marathon in under three in a pair of these, yeah. basically, yeah. which looked like flip-flops. Yep. That's right. Uh, just before we let you guys go, I want you to quickly tell us about why, because you're both from San Francisco, but you decided to locate the company here in B.C. and Vancouver, yes. and why yes. is that? Well, the, uh, the British Columbia government and the Canadian government made it very uh, easy for us to hire engineering talent with the incentives they put out there, and then we just built a great team and culture, and B.C.'s been great for us. So uh, we're hiring, by the way, <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, we're very happy to be here. Okay, Weave Custom Footwear is W-I-I-V-V. Uh, if you want to get a pair of 3D printed sandals and insoles, thanks very much for joining me, Shamil and Hannah. Thank you. Thanks. I can't wait to get my flip-flops. I'm not going to be running in the Boston Marathon and no sub three in a pair of these, so maybe I'll stand on the sidelines, Chris. <laughs> That's a much better plan, but what an accomplishment for that, yeah. uh, that guy and that company. Thanks very much. Appreciate that. So, Squires here now with a look at sports. All right, let's go back to last night for a second. Um, they lost game one. Everybody thought, ooh, the Winnipeg Jets are going to run over Vegas. Then Vegas took a lesson on what Nashville did at certain points of their series with Winnipeg. Since they are Jets, the best way to stop them is clog up the runway so they don't get any speed. And that's exactly why the series is now tied 1-1 with game three tomorrow in Las Vegas. After getting the lead 1-0, the Golden Knights put more players in the middle of the ice. Counter-attack. You'll see it work beautifully right here in the second goal, which proved to be the winner. But remember, Winnipeg 4-2 and two on the road in these playoffs. We'll be ready to bounce back. I think, uh, you know, that, that's playoff hockey, right? You, you win one, all of a sudden you think you have the momentum, you lose one, you think you don't have the momentum, and then uh, the view of it is just a, it's a fresh start. And we know that their crowd's going to be excited. They're going to be, get, you know, they're going to feed off that. But uh, you know, we play in hostile environments. You know, we know how to play on the road, and then sometimes we got we simplify our game, and then sometimes it makes it easier for us to play our game. That's called a playoff smile that Paul Stasky has with yep. one of the front teeth missing. Steven Stamkos and the uh, Lightning offense has been missing in the first two games of this series with Washington. Oh, I guess it's back. Power play goal, Stamkos. Very Ovechkin with that uh, that goal right there. That made it one nothing. Then it's two nothing for Tampa. Look at the passing here. Victor Hedman, who set Stamkos up on that last highlight I showed you, scores here. Three nothing at that point. It's now three one late in the second period. An international game, so they get to exchange the cheap pennants beforehand. Connor McDavid and Dennis Seidenberg. Canada, Germany, as they finish off the long preliminary part of the World Hockey Championships. It's a goal for Canada. Braden Shen, that's just 20 seconds into the game. Then Ryan Nugent Hopkins in the second period gives Canada a 2-0 lead, getting a drop pass from his Edmonton Oilers teammate, Connor McDavid. Tyson Yost. And Tyson Yost with a the goal there. 3-0 the final Thursday quarterfinals, Canada and Russia. The Whitecaps have signed veteran left-back Marcel de Jong to a new contract. His deal means he'll be with the Vancouver Whitecaps for sure next year, and the team has an option to keep him around in the 2020 season as well. De Jong has been a Whitecap since he signed as a free agent July of last year. Not only is he glad he's staying in Vancouver, his family is glad as well. Yeah, they were uh, really happy. So, uh, But, uh, yeah, no, it's uh, for them also always... Uh, Always a question: uh, What what happens uh, next year? Uh, contract is almost up. Uh, what do we do? What do we do? Uh, are, we, are we staying here? Are we going? So it's it's good to have a like uh, they can calm down now and uh, stop bothering me and uh, <laughs> and uh, no, but they're happy. 
Yesterday, former BC Lions star Adam Big Hill was cut by the New Orleans Saints. I'm not sure if he'll come back to BC, though. You get a sense New Lions GM Ed Hervey would like to move forward with his own recruits, and Big Hill might try to hook on with another NFL team before thinking about coming back to the CFL. Former long snapper Tyson Craigs was at the BC Lions offices today doing something he had never officially done before, and that's retire as a BC Lion where his father played and where he won a Grey Cup in 2006. Being able to play here and win a Grey Cup here, here um, you know, just made it all worth it. And I wanted to end it properly while Coach Wally's still, still the coach. Seattle Mariners all-star second baseman Robinson Cano has been suspended for 80 games because he tested positive for a drug that is used to mask steroids. He tested positive before the season, appealed, but baseball proved his intent for using it, so his appeal has been dropped. The suspension is going to cost him $11.85 million. It also costs the Seattle Mariners their best player. LeBron James, run over in game one against the Celtics, had an answer, well, several answers, in the first quarter tonight in game two, 21 points in the first quarter. A couple of uncontested threes here. Cleveland has a 55-48 halftime lead in game two against the Celtics. Boston leads the series 1-0. There you go. At first glance, it looks like plastic trash, and that's exactly what it is. But a well-known B.C. artist has been harvesting the junk from our shorelines. The result, the latest exhibit at the Vancouver Aquarium, both amazing and troubling. Here's Nadia Stewart. It is ocean plastic like you've never seen it before. All the plastic you see behind me here is from Haidegui, up north. And it's kind of horrifying, isn't it? Our waste on display. The goal here is to create an emotional response uh, to plastics. A response similar to the one renowned Vancouver artist Douglas Copeland had back in 2013 when he saw firsthand the impact ocean waste was having on B.C. shoreline after the 2011 tsunami in Japan. Suddenly these plastic bottles that I used to buy in Tokyo were washing up on not just like any shoreline, but the most beautiful shoreline on the planet. And it kind of freaked me out and it, it made me ecologically sensitized in a way it had never been before. Then early last year, a call to the aquarium led to this, Vortex. All the trash is real. The boat washed ashore from the tsunami. The characters aboard it, inspired by real life. From a captivated Andy Warhol to an African refugee experiencing life at the intersection of oil, politics, plastic. Ecological degradation and how that leads to all forms of migration. To these bobblehead people of the future, oversized smartphones in hand. And they're documenting the world and... I would like to think they will change it through whatever form of activism they get engaged in. And that hope for change isn't just for the future, but for the present as well. Over a dump truck of plastic goes into the world's oceans every minute of every hour, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 52 weeks a year. And after seeing the Lego coral reef and jellyfish coexisting with plastic, the site might just be enough to prompt change. One single-use plastic item at a time. Nadia Stark, Global News. Maybe there's a solution to problem plastic down at the BC Tech Summit. We'll check in with Sophie one last time before we go. Some cool stuff down there. Oh, can you see us? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm checking out Machu Picchu right now. No, there probably is some a great solution here. If there's not here uh, yet, Chris, there will be one down the road, I'm sure. 
I actually can't see a thing. I don't know what I'm doing with this thing. <laughs> Up on Machu Picchu. Well, without the hike, I guess. So Exactly. You can enjoy it that way. Uh, coverage continues from the BC Tech Summit uh, tonight and for the rest of the week. Enjoy it down there and enjoy the heat as it continues. That's right. Thanks for watching. Good night.